Bob? That's been way too long. Oh, way, man. way too long. Sorry, guys. Our apologies to uh, all of the Hey Bub followers out there. It has been a long summer. Yeah. It's been about four months since we officially recorded a podcast. It has been. I think it was in April. So like we did an update maybe in June. Yeah. And uh, from Outer Banks, North Carolina, but life has been crazy hectic. Both of us have changed jobs. I've moved. Um, and uh, I'm a Hoosier again. So back in the Hoosier state. And I think you ever been- weren't a Hoosier. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I've always been a Hoosier at heart. Technically. But I, I kind of had dual citizenship, you know. I was I lived in <laughs> Illinois for nine years and, and uh, of course, love, I love Indiana. That's where my roots are. And my farm is, you know, in, in Indiana. So yeah. but we're back. We're back. And, man, things are really picking up steam fast. We're heading right into fall. We've got one day. We're recording this on the 30th of August, so one day of uh, – of August left tomorrow, and then, uh, yeah, big September's so, coming, baby. Big September, lots happened. Uh, we certainly have, you know, even though Hey Bub hasn't been recording, we've been trying to get things done, and we'll share a little bit about about kind of our summer activities, and uh, also want to just um, talk about trail cameras for a little bit uh, because you know, uh, yeah, it's something a, a lot of it's a tool a lot of us use, I think, and. And uh, I think Matt and I, our experience with trail cameras here in the last year, we'll, we'll highlight just kind of what it's like sometimes with, with trail cameras. <laughs> but then... Uh, the good, bad, and the ugly. Good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about hunting season because it's, it's coming in quick. But Matt, give us a rundown. What, uh, what have you been doing this summer to kind of help uh, prepare for 2021 hunting season? Yeah, I got to be honest, I've done a lot less scouting this year than typical. Um, I, in past years, I've been hitting public land really hard come first day of, uh, of archery season. And this year, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't have a great uh, plan moving forward for archery <laughs> on public land. Still going to get out and try and hunt. Um, but it's been, it's been a while since I've set foot on some public ground probably back in well probably close to when we recorded our last last podcast which was back in april uh yeah it's been some time but that being said i've got some private ground that i've been keeping close eyes on uh, and we'll touch on that some more with uh the trail camera talk but uh just trying recently trying to get uh trying to get my bow set up a little bit different so I'm not sure how many of you guys pay a lot of attention to some of the trends that are happening and some of the crazes that are happening with within the archery um, realm, but a lot of people, um, and it is, there's some science behind it too, and, and uh, it's, that's kind of made me want to experiment some more with my setup. A lot of people are going to a heavier um, FOC or higher FOC, which means front of center, so trying to get more weight to the front of your arrow. Um, and that helps to um, really penetrate better. And so one of the things that I've, I've done uh, this year, which is a switch for me, is I've, I'm using the same broadhead as last year. It's a single bevel 250 grain, so it's a hefty broadhead. Um, but I'm switching to carbon arrows. So yesterday, actually, I finally had the chance. I, I ordered them in probably over a month ago. 
Uh, yesterday, finally had the chance to uh, go to my buddy's house, uh, Ken Frymore, and he helped me cut him down. He's got a little setup there, like a little archery shop in his basement, basically, and uh, it's really nice. And Shout out to Ken, longtime Hey Bob supporter. So. He's he's an OG he's supporter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, hey Bob, hey Ken. Um, so he uh, he helped me cut him down and fletch him and all that, and uh, so I, I haven't officially shot them yet, which is scary because. Adam, we are, I think opening day is the 18th, September 18th here in PA. So for our region specifically, the rest of the state kind of opens a little bit later. But um, so I need to get those fine-tuned. Um, I have obviously already my bow setup is, is good to go. Nothing's changing there, same site and everything else. But we'll need to change my uh, pins a little bit because I'm shooting a lighter arrow even though my broadhead's still really hefty. So I'm excited about that. Excited to see how it changes uh, my bow speed. I think it'll be a little bit faster. Uh, I'll be able to shoot a little bit further and flatter. So I'm not sure if that will be a huge difference, but I think my, I was shooting FMJs, which are an aluminum arrow. And I think the grains per carbon inch, insert. Yeah. And I think they're what, like 13 grains per inch or something. They're heavy. Maybe even more than that. Yeah. And the, the new ones are like 10. So uh, over about 30 inches of arrow, 29 inches, it makes a big difference. What kind, what, what kind of inserts are you doing? How heavy are you going on the insert? I am going to play around with it a little bit, uh, but I just, I'm keeping like the stock insert for now. And then I also bought, the nice thing about these, they're, um, they're Hunter XTs, gold tip Hunter That's XTs. Shooting. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about it is, and I looked at a bunch of different brands, but these have on the, the inserts, you can get weights that you can screw into the back of the insert. So you yeah. just take out your knock and it, you get this long tool and you can screw in weights. Um, I got 10 grain increments, so you can kind of change it around and make heavier ones too. Uh, but that's another way to add more weight to the front. If you have those gold tip arrows, if you're just yeah. trying to get a little more weight, you can keep your same broadhead set up and did you do 300 adds. spine or 250, Matt? I did 250. Um, my draw weight's about 70 pounds, and I have about 30, about a 30 inch draw. So yeah. uh, they told me, I think I talked to somebody at Gold Tip, and they said they recommend the 250. So yeah, that's what I went for. We'll see how it goes. Uh, have you, have sure you put them on a, on a scale yet to see? I haven't man. yet. Now um, I think I. At one point, I had broken out because you can find all the measurements online, at least ballpark, pretty close. And I think I had uh, I calculated it all. I forget what the number was, but I'm still like in the 600 area. So it's still a pretty heavy arrow yeah. in comparison to what a lot of guys are shooting. But yeah, I think I'm right at, I think I'm 645 is where I'm at. Yeah. And I'm shooting those same arrows, but in 300 spine and then but I'm only using 125 grain uh, broadhead and then a 200 grain insert. So oh wow, that's what I'm picking up. It's a lot of weight up front. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when you think about it, I mean, especially for whitetail, while we're hunting, you really don't need a super fast arrow. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, go ahead and watch it. I mean, there's a lot of videos out there if you guys like go on YouTube and search high FOC arrow setup. Um, you can get a lot of information on you know, why people are moving that direction and kind of the science behind it. And yep. But the proof ranch ferry, so. ranch, ranch ferry, ferry. some guys, public guys have picked up on it some. So yeah. Yeah. Ranch yeah. ferry is a polarizing character, but uh, he he's got some good stuff. The buck I shot last year, Matt, with my bow, 
um, quartering towards through the front shoulder, passed through on the other side. It just wrecked. I mean, it was the most efficient kill. Yeah. Um, and I was using um, the cutthroat broadheads and those, those uh, single bevel, aren't they? Yeah, single bevel. Yeah. Yep. And they were sharp. And I went through the whole sharpening process. So a lot of work there. But man, when, when, it, when it comes time for, you know, for it to count, you really want it to be efficient when it gets there. And yeah, two years ago, you know, I was, I was, uh, we were doing stuff for a particular show and needed to use, you know, particular broadheads. And these were mechanical uh, broadheads that we were using. And uh, I had, I had one deflect off a back rib on a quartering away shot and ended up going the other direction and lost about a 165 inch nine pointer. I, I mean, it didn't kill him. Um, yeah. uh, but it was devastating to me. So, so that was the last mecha mechanical broadhead. Last mechanical shoot. I'll ever shoot. <laughs> Must have said a turkey. So. Yeah. Some people swear by them. And I mean, if, yeah. if, uh, if you're a nice close shot and you're super active, if I'm using one it. again, it's going to be cut on contact. Yeah. No chisel tip. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been doing a lot of projects, you know, I've, this is going to be my first year really hunting the farm. Um, I've done just a hunt here or there in the last, you know, seven years, but being only 35 minutes away now, you know, that, that kind of puts me in the game for being able to start to figure that place out. And so I've done a lot of controlled burns and I'll show you some of the footage here from, oh, uh, this was, this was probably three or four weeks back. You know, I, this is my second year of doing a controlled burn on about 18 acres of cattle pasture. So um, it was a place that I originally had thought about doing a pollinators uh, program and uh, it didn't get funded in 2020. So I pulled my name out of, of the application process and, and just said, you know, I'm going to just burn it again instead of spending all kinds of crazy money on, on pollinator seed uh, and just see what happens and man it is just it's coming alive and so that's been really fun to see things come back i've got a lot of little blue coming back um just a lot of of great pollinating forbs and and wildflowers and so it's been a really good really good thing uh but i did go through uh here the last couple of weeks i've gone through and um doing a different method for food plots. I'm doing a no-till method for food plots, but I'm identifying areas where I've burned a couple of times and it just seems like things still aren't coming back. So there are really, there's seven, um, you know, food plots that are anywhere between half acre to um, acre and a half that, that I've put into a diverse mix, you know, of, uh, well, I got winter wheats, uh, winter rye, winter oats, uh, radish, turnips, clovers, annual clovers like Balanza. Um, I have, you know, Ladino and some, some uh, medium red in there. Uh, the only thing at this point that I'm kind of regretting is not the diversity, how much I've thrown out, but I really, I'm kind of wishing I wouldn't have done anything uh, perennial. I wish I would have gone all annual. So next spring I could come in and do an annual summer plot and just terminate it by rolling. I had a really, I had really good success this fall of using a roller to create a mulch mat for the seed that I broadcasted. And uh, 
really interested in seeing how that works in comparison to an area where I mowed and then um, broadcasted and did a herbicide application. I really don't like, I don't get any joy out of using herbicide, but at the same time, um, when it comes to restoring stuff back to native vegetation, there, there's just some hurdles you got to jump through. And one of them is eradicating invasive species. And so some of those areas that are just, you know, loaded with invasives, it's just so hard to, mm -hmm. it's so hard to combat it other than, you know, use a herbicide application. So, but really excited to see how those things go. Finally got some rain, uh, maybe up to an inch of rain today on the farm. So I haven't heard for sure. Um, but hopefully that'll get things uh, germinated because it, I, I think the seed's been there for a week and a <laughs> half, two weeks. It hasn't germinated yet. So oh, man, we'll see how it goes, but been doing that and uh, enjoying that and starting to pick up some pretty good bucks on the farm. In fact, I have been about all summer. So let's, let's kind of switch and transition to talk about trail cameras, cameras for just a second. Um, I, I made a purchase. It was like, uh, you know, end of season sale at Walmart, uh, probably 2019, uh, after the 2019 season, I found two of these five point micro, uh, SD cameras and I bought two of them. I think I got them for, uh, man, it was, I don't know, 60, $70 a piece, something like that. And I, I thought, you know, it's 70% off you know, it's a pretty good price point and I'll, give it a try. So I bought two of them and put two of them out last year. And I put lithium batteries in each of them. Um, and I have, um, I used them uh, during the rut. I had them send, send me pictures in time. Uh, they're cell cameras. They're cell cameras. Yeah. And um, so I, but my typical setup for them is they send me one picture or they send me pictures once a day. I have it set for like 10 o'clock in the morning. And, um, I have, I have them taking pictures three minutes apart. So it's not taking pictures, multiple pictures of the same deer over and over again. And, uh, as of today on the same set of batteries, uh, my camera still reads and I checked it right before we met again, Matt, it still reads that I have 100% battery. And I only have one of them out right now. The other one I took down when I moved, I had one in Illinois and one in Indiana, but so as you might, <laughs> as you might guess, I'm thinking, man, I have hit the jackpot in, in trail cameras. And so I go and tell Matt, Hey, this is the camera you got to buy. This is, you know, at that point last year, I had had it out September, October, November, December. And I was still excited that I had uh, 100% battery. I'm still at 100% battery eight months later, but in that time frame, Matt, how many, how many <laughs> of spy point cell cam Man. micro SD cameras yeah. have you gone through? So I got my first one uh, back in December, 2020. I put it out and it ran, it ran good. I'll, I'll say I put it on private land. It ran probably for about a month, two months. And I was getting pictures as expected. It connected fine to uh, cell signal. The battery seemed to be doing pretty good. I was surprised. Didn't have to go and change it for about a two month period of time. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like getting, I, I 
didn't do the once a day route. I, I couldn't handle that. So I think I ended up doing like twice a day and I forget how often I was telling it to take pictures. Um, but a little more freak, frequent than what you did. That being said, in April, something happened. And I don't know if it was like a firmware update um, on the camera from spy points end or what. But all of a sudden, one day, it just took a picture every single minute for like five hours. And it sent them all at once. And all of a sudden, I have notification up and I have like 500 pictures that came through. And I'm like, oh man, like this is what is happening in front of my camera right now. But I'm thinking like, this is probably not good. So I open up and they have an app, which is nice because you open up the app. It tells you uh, the cell st strength on your camera. Like if you're in a bad cell area, it'll let you know the battery level, as Adam said. And then it also has a catalog of your pictures and you can purchase like, they're pretty inexpensive plans. Yeah. Like 250 pictures, I think is like $4 a month or something. Yeah. Um, so this totally drained out my subscription and then the camera died. Like I go into the app, the battery is at 0% and I have pictures of absolutely nothing for like five hours straight every minute. So I'm like, oh no, something bad happened. So a few weeks later, I finally get time to go out and I pick up the camera, which I don't like to, I, I use the cell camera in that spot because I didn't want to be in and out of there much. And so I went and got it. And within, um, within like a couple, couple days, probably I had time to, to reach out to spy point and they hooked me up with a brand new one. They're like, well, we can't figure out what's going on. Uh, we formatted the memory card and all that stuff, got new batteries in it. And they're like, we'll just send you a new one. So the customer service was really great. Actually, they, they troubleshooted with me over the phone and sent me a new camera within about a week. I had it. And so I turned it on and I'm just trying to do the initial setup thing and it won't connect. It won't connect to the network. I'm, I'm using a brand new memory card that I formatted with their process, meets all their requirements, brand new batteries, and it never connects. So a few days later, I'm like, I'm just gonna have to, to call spy point back and, and troubleshoot again. They're like, oh man, like we can't figure out what's going on. This, is, this doesn't happen. And so like, we gotta, we'll send you out another one. Like, and then you just return the one that you gave that uh, we sent to, sent to you. So they send another one. And this one, I finally get to connect. I had some issues with it at first, but I got to connect. I take it out to the field. And within a matter of about three days, it did the same thing. It took pictures every minute for hours at a time, drained the batteries. <laughs> and this has been the story. I, I, it's currently sitting out on a tree with, with uh, dead batteries. And um, I haven't gone back out to touch it because I hate to bother the area that it's in because the nice thing is I did have on a separate camera close by, um, which is one of the Walmart like Tasco cameras. That thing has bullet been bulletproof for me. It takes pictures. Uh, they're pretty clear. Batteries last forever. And I know there's bucks in the area, so I'm very hesitant to go in and, and swap them out. But yeah, it's, it's funny because I... Like you had a great experience. I've had a terrible experience. Um, and it just goes to prove like cell cameras are one of those things that are completely hit or miss. No matter what brand it is, it seems like all of them have their issues and it's really inconsistent. So yeah. um, if you're looking for recommendations, I don't recommend that one. Uh, but maybe some of the other spy point ones are better. I'm not sure if that's uh, 
like a problematic camera for them or what but yeah so so my theory and i can't prove this but i think you know i i don't know everything in the production process for a lot of these trail cameras i mean i do know you know a lot of them are are imported in and um so I, i think the production varies and even the quality of a particular camera can vary depending on when it was produced and where it was produced and all those sorts of things. But one thing that I've kind of done is I've set a, a price standard of saying, okay, I'm not going to spend. So for instance, on those Walmart Tascos first year, I had heard somebody, one of my buddies at drive was, Hey, this is a pretty good camera. So I picked one up. I tried it for a couple of weeks. It worked great. So I went back and for $30 a piece, I think I went back and maybe, uh, I don't know how many I bought, five, six. I had some Christmas money. I went back and bought five or six of those things. And I used them the entire year, the next year. That was in 2018. Okay. So that was three years ago. I have used those. And at the end of that year, they all worked. I found, I found on Dick's Sporting Goods, I had a, a, um, a gift card at the end of the year to a sporting goods store. And they had a camera that was made by Primos, but it was the same interface as the Tasco. So I took a chance on five more of them. And all of those cameras are still working flawlessly. Are they the best quality picture? No, not really. Uh, but I can tell which deer it is. It, the, the, the camera's fine. I don't use it for video. I put them in places where I don't care if they get stolen. And I, I every year now, those cameras have produced. And so I've set the standard of, all right, if I find something that works, I'm going to go with it. I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to spend, just to be honest, more than 30, 35 bucks on a trail camera. Um, because yeah. what I found is it doesn't matter if it's $30 or $180. A lot of these cameras all have the same issues and they're all made in very similar places. So of course, USA made uh, trail cameras. That's a whole nother ball game, but it's also a whole nother price point. Are there any? Yes. Who yes. makes who makes the who, what trail cameras are made in the U.S. Exodus. Oh, Exodus are okay. Is made yeah. in the U.S. And I yeah. think Reconyx is made in the U.S. The, those you're talking two or three hundred dollars. Oh, for like no, the, yeah. For like the for like the bottom of the barrel. Bottom of the barrel. I mean, cell cameras. You're talking. You know, last time I looked, five hundred bucks. I mean, that's just so unrealistic for me. Yeah. So you know. But if you take a chance on one of, I always take a chance on the ones that are on sale and see what works. You know, I don't go to Walmart or any big box store and spend 170 bucks on a single trail camera where a lot of those people are having the same issues. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And this, so, this spy point one I got, the normal price is like a hundred bucks. Yeah. So I, I kind of took a, took a jump and was like, all right, I'm going to get a nice camera. Right. And, uh, Tell you what, guys, very disappointed. Yeah. But if you guys have ones that you like and have good let success know. with, let us know because I'm in the market. Need to replace this one. Hopefully, they'll eventually just refund me my money <laughs> and call it a day. But we'll see. So we're making plans for the rest of the fall, and uh, we're planning for the show too, and wanting to bring on some some folks that I think will have a lot of insight. Um, and uh, looking forward to sharing that. But. There's one thing, one more thing before we close out that I'd like to talk about, um, just because this has been something that's been on my radar for a few years now, and I feel like I need to share it. So if what we share in any way helps anybody or can 
you know, if you want to pass this stuff along, I don't have anything other than common sense uh, behind, behind what I'm about to share. But I have a rule, Matt, going into 2021 hunting season that I am not going to put a tree stand or sit in uh, a ground blind or anything like that that's within 50 yards of a ash tree. And uh, the reason being, emerald ash borer went through our area a few years back. I guess it's still here in some, in some cases, but really a major push a few years back. And all of the ash trees in, in our area, they're all dead uh, by and large. I mean, if you have an ash that's still alive, you're, it's the exception, not the rule. And all of those trees are starting to fall. And they're incredibly dangerous. Just last Friday, we had a tree that was actually on the neighbor here in the new neighborhood we're living in, about a 20, 22-inch ash tree probably. Here's some video of it right here uh, where you guys can check it out. Uh, but it, I mean, it was, it was just incredible how it all worked out to our benefit. I mean, um, you know, by God's grace, it broke two feet above the fence, missed our shed by two feet. Missed our house by a couple of feet, missed the dogs by a couple of feet. I mean, I, I couldn't have placed it in a better spot, but it was a reminder yeah. for me that, hey, you know, right now we got a hurricane pushing through a lot of these areas. And, and as these trees die, they absorb water, they get heavy, and they are so unstable. So mm -hmm. if you guys don't know what an ash tree looks like, at this point, you can just pretty much identify it by it's probably the dead trees that, that are on your hunting place right now. And be attentive. I know a lot of guys already have tree stands out, but pay attention to what's around you because, you know, we get, we get tunnel vision when the rut's here and you do not want to be sitting downwind on a windy October, late October, you know, evening after those October rains that always bring the leaves down and the trees start to shift. Uh, their weight is shifting because the, the leaves are, are releasing and and all of a sudden those things become uh really super dangerous so mm -hmm. my rule in 2021 soapbox time is i'm not going to sit within 50 yards of a dead ash tree yeah that's a great rule and uh i mean that goes for any any dead tree as well yeah <laughs> even if it's not an ash and you notice that you're set up near a dead tree and you need to you need to change that setup that's, it. sometimes it can be tricky especially if you're going in the dark in the morning and you're doing more of a mobile setup with a climber or saddle or hang on or whatever. Um, yep. But try and be attentive to what kind of trees are around you. If you get up there and comes daylight and you see that you got a dead tree 20 feet from you, you need to change where you're at. Um, yep. it's, not, it's not worth it. So, yep. Well, guys, we appreciate you staying with us and uh, we promise uh, it won't be that long next time so we'll see you real soon we really appreciate you guys joining us on this edition of hey bub outdoors we look forward to 2021 hunting season we'll see you guys on the other side have a good day take care